Greetings from the Athletics Recreation Center. A few pre-pod announcements for you. Children are to be under the supervision of a parent or guardian at all times. Valparaiso University is a smoke-free campus. Please refrain from using tobacco products anywhere on university property. We thank you for your cooperation. And now your hosts from Las Vegas, Nevada, Parker Gatewood, and from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Paul Oren. Welcome to Union Street Hoops. Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your host, Paul Oren. Happy to be here. It's been a little over a month since we had the opportunity to uh, to commiserate with one another, uh, which is really me speaking into a microphone, you guys listening, and then hopefully tweeting at me and let me know how much you love the podcast, following it on iTunes, liking it and retweeting it and following along on nwi.com. Anything you can do to support the pod is greatly appreciated. I'm flying solo right now in the mix. We'll see what happens going forward as we get closer to the season. I need to redo the opening there as we we love Parker Gatewood, but he's now down in Florida. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today. We've got the some late breaking news. Let's get to it right away here. Late breaking news uh, as of a couple minutes ago, Matt Bowen is returned to Valpo, former assistant coach from 2002 to 2006. Valpo was worked under Scott Drew for a year and then three years under Homer Drew before leaving the program to go to Bemidji State or Bemidji State in uh, Minnesota. I think I pronounced that incorrectly, but I'm from Wisconsin. That's in Minnesota, and we don't really recognize that place. Um, uh, so he was a head coach for six years up there, and then uh, Minnesota Duluth for six years, and has now come back where he is the special assistant to the head coach and director of basketball operations. Had a chance to see uh, Matt the other day briefly, and he's very excited to be back here at Valpo and and uh, is excited to hit the ground running. And we'll hopefully have him on here in a, in a week or two on Union Street Hoops because I'd love to to find out the correct pronunciation and as well uh, find out you know how do you uh, how do you go from being a head coach for twelve years to want to come back to to Valpo and uh, it's it's again it's uh, it's good to have Matt back. He's a He's a good guy and was a great assistant coach here. Spent a lot of time working with Yerulek Bavboa. Uh, I, I can remember them working on three-pointers in the upper, upper gym at the Arc uh, at all hours of the night. So good to have Matt Bowen back. Speaking of Scott Drew, later on in the program, we're going to be joined by Northwest Indiana Times former reporter Sean Hayden. Sean covered the Scott Drew-led Crusaders, and 15 years ago this week, Sean was covering Scott Drew moving on to Baylor. Sean has some some good recollection as well as some it's been 15 years and I don't remember where I put my car keys this morning recollection of what it was like for uh, to, to cover that situation in terms of of. Uh, hanging out at the airport waiting to see Scott Drew and and a very interesting quote that was given to him while he was at the airport, as well as what he thinks about Scott's career at Baylor so far and and how it's really kind of unfolded, and maybe some comparisons to how Bryce Drew left Valpo as well. So Sean Hayden will be on later on in the program to talk about all of that. Now, Valpo's schedule has just been released. And we're going to go game by game, and I'm going to talk about what I know about how these games came to pass on the schedule. And it, it, it should be you know, kind of an interesting way of looking at the schedule, a little bit from what I know. Some rumors, some innuendo, some whatever. And uh, some I had some talks with Matt Loddick. I had some talks with Mark LaBarbera. I talked to uh, Mike Kern of the Missouri Valley Conference. And you know that they, they think Valpo's done a good job scheduling. Also, later on in the, in the podcast today, we're going to be joined by the head coach of the Purdue Northwest men's basketball team, Boomer Roberts. Uh, Boomer is a first-year coach. He was at Trine before. Now he's at Purdue Northwest, and that will be Valpo's final non-conference game on December 29th. And fans have been, you know, rioting, basically, since the schedule came out. They don't like non-D1 games. I don't like non-D1 games. Matter of fact, I don't think Matt Loddick or Luke Gore or anybody likes non-D1 games, but they are essentially a necessary evil, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But 
Boomer Roberts has got an opportunity to bring his first-year program, I mean, they've been around for a while, but his first year with the program, to the arc for what should be a great learning opportunity for that team. What does it do for Valpo? I'll get to that when we talk about that game. But Boomer Roberts will join us later on to talk about the that game from maybe a different perspective. I know that fans want to revolt against that game right away, and that's fine. You can have that idea. Uh, I can't tell you any different. But I think maybe you'll see a bit of a different perspective from Boomer Roberts, and we'll go from there. Okay, let's start at the top. Valpo unveils their schedule. Uh, they, they sell it in a good way. Uh, highlighted by at least three games against top 40 RPI teams from a year ago. You've got Western Kentucky. You've got West Virginia. You've got Texas A&M. Those are the big games that, that are out there. And should Valpo beat Western Kentucky, there's every bit of chance they're going to get West Virginia, you know, twice in a span of nine days. What I don't think can be overlooked is Valpo's conference schedule which is a night and day difference from what it was in the Horizon League. It's significantly better. So I know that fans want to immediately look at the non-conference home slate, and they want to be very upset about it. And sure, you're fine. You're justified in whatever feeling that you want to have about this. But let's not pretend that Valpo doesn't have a significantly harder home slate of games or conference slate in general. Youngstown State is not walking through the door. There are not two free victories just hanging out there in the Valley. There's not. Evansville's probably going to be a little down, but they've reloaded their roster with a bunch of players, and who knows what they're going to have. The same with Missouri State. They're probably going to be down, but they've reloaded their roster with a bunch of players. Northern Iowa, who also finished in the bottom four of the conference, is expected to be pretty pretty decent this year. They've got, I think, the best freshman in the conference coming in, and A.J. Green, I believe his name is. I There are no give-me games in the Missouri Valley Conference. The conference slate, those nine home games are going to be excellent basketball games. If you remember last year, every one of those games, with maybe the exception of the Missouri State game, were, were, were good basketball games. And, and and maybe my memory is, is slipping. I guess if I could look back at the box scores, maybe some of them weren't so great. But but it was a good quality opponent that came in every single night. And I dare you to say the same thing about the Horizon League because it wasn't. When Detroit was down, they were awful. Youngstown State was awful. There were other teams. Cleveland State, when they were down, they were awful. Milwaukee, when they were down, they were awful until they somehow ended up beating Valpo. So those games were not good home games. Now Valpo's in a conference where they could conceivably finish in last place, which they just did. So you've got to get wins somewhere, right? And yes, Valpo should be improved. And yes, they should play better in the conference. But let's not pretend that Valpo can roll through the conference play and, you know, go 12 and you know, 12 and six or 14 and four without any problems. I mean, it's a hard conference. It's a really hard conference, much harder, much, much harder than the Horizon League. Okay. I've said my piece about that. Let's start from the top. Valpo has, and this is not on the schedule, and this will knock out one of these things right off the bat. Valpo has what they call a secret scrimmage, right? They the teams have these things. Uh, the NCAA says you can't talk about them. I think it's ridiculous. I don't really understand why. Uh, one of these things where you can scrimmage against a D1 program, you can you you can keep stats, but you can't publish them. You cannot have any fans there. You can. It's basically a glorified practice, but you're doing it against another Division One team. What tends to happen is all of this stuff as, you know, the day that these games happen, slowly but surely, reporters are out there, myself included, source close to the program indicates so-and-so played well as so-and-so beat so-and-so. You know, it's all over the place. Jeff Goodman made a career out of, out of well, he's made a career off a lot of things, but one of the things he's often done is track down these stats and reported them. So, 
Sources close to the program indicate that Valpo and UIC are going to have a closed practice with one another on October 27th. I believe that's the date. Again, sources close to the program indicate this. This won't be public anywhere. There's no play-by-play. There's no video. There's none of that. But those two teams are going to go back and forth with one another. Um, I think Valpo's done it uh, with Buffalo a couple times. I think maybe I think they did it with Western Michigan once. Um, I believe it's, again, some of the stuff is secretive. You never really know what's going on. It's there, but it's it's it doesn't exist. If that makes sense, why ask the NCAA? Do they make any sense about any of their rulings? Of course not. So okay, October twenty seventh, Valpo is going to scrimmage against UIC in a closed thing. Which leads me to believe or question, I guess leads me to question, where are the Horizon League teams on the schedule this year? There are none. I talked to Mark LaBarber about this, and I didn't, he didn't have the opportunity to get podcast interviews with Mark LaBarber and Matt Lodick, but I did speak with both of them about this. And as Mark LaBarber said to me, it wasn't for the lack of trying. Even Mark LaBarber reached out to several athletic directors from Horizon League schools and to, to try to get some scheduling of games. Matt Loddick reached out to coaches of several Horizon League schools, and it was not that teams didn't want to play Valpo or that Valpo didn't want to play teams. I have been told it all comes down to the fact that they just were dates that couldn't be agreed upon. I don't know who the conversations were with. I don't know if it was Oakland or if it was IUPUI or Northern Kentucky or Wright State or Milwaukee or whomever. I know that it looked like Valpo was going to be in a tournament last year with Milwaukee. That didn't come to fruition. Uh, I, you know, I got the sense that there have been conversations with these programs, and there will continue to be conversations with these programs. From what Mark LaBarbera said, there was no indication by any of the athletic directors or people that he spoke with that there was any kind of residual effect of the lawsuit that is still pending between the Horizon League and Valpo and all of that, that was not even discussed. It's not even part of the conversation. Scheduling is difficult from what I understand. I am told, I don't, look, I don't schedule, you don't schedule. So we're told it's very, very hard. And who am I to question that? You've, you know, some schools own their buildings. Some schools don't own their building. Some, you know, you've got a bunch of other teams that you have to contend with. In a perfect world, yes, is Valpo, do they start and stop at the convenience of the men's basketball team or the basketball programs in general? Sure. But there are a lot of different parameters that need to be brought into place, as there are with every other one of the programs that are out there. So trying to find dates I'm sure is not an easy thing. It sounds like it's easy. I mean, make it make, you know, are you going to go on a date? Are you going to, you're like, Hey, are you free this day? Are you free this? Let me tell you this. I'm trying to schedule a fantasy football draft right now. It's impossible. I can't, we know every year the same, you know, 12 guys. We know every year that we've got to have a date set aside within a two week period, essentially, because we want to wait for all the rosters to be set in some way. We know every year we are, we're going to do this, and we can't find a date. Now, granted, I'm dealing with 12 people instead of setting it up with one other person, but it is hard to schedule a fantasy football draft when you know that you've got to do it every single year within a 13- or 14-day period. Like, I don't do anything the last four Sundays of, of, of you know, the three Sundays in August and first Sunday in September. I set those aside for fantasy football uh, did I just tell you that I'm in four fantasy football leagues? I'm in more than that. So whatever. It's a weakness. So trying to come up with dates is not an easy thing. So uh, maybe that analogy works. Maybe it doesn't. Okay. So no Horizon League teams on the schedule, not for the lack of trying, according to Mark LaBarbera. So Valpo opens their season. Well, then they have an exhibition game against Indianapolis on November 1st, Thursday, November 1st, the first time that Valpo is going to get a chance to, or Valpo fans will get a chance to see the new look Crusaders. Okay, Indianapolis, I don't know much about them. I wish it was Indiana Wesleyan. Bring Greg Tonigal here. That would be nice. Indianapolis, fine. You get a school from the state, and uh, they'll come up here. Great. What I don't like is the season opener. 
Season opener, Tuesday, November 6th, at home against Concordia University, Chicago. Not a fan of this game. I don't have, I mean, I get non-Division one games. I understand you got to play them. And so Mark LaBarbera, in my talks with him, basically said, look, we were not going to pass up on this tournament to go to Myrtle Beach. That is going to, that takes three games right away from, from Valpo. Matter of fact, it takes four games away because they get four, they get three neutral site games. And then as part of this tournament, they get a game against West Virginia in Morgantown. So that's what they get. They get no home games out of this. A lot of these tournaments they've done in the past, the Vegas tournament, they would, they would get some home games. Some sort of, uh, you know, the thing that what they did in Savannah, I think they got some home games out of that. Nothing here in this situation. No home games come from this tournament. So Valpo's got to continually be aggr- continue to be aggressive and schedule at home. It's hard to get home games. It just is. It's hard, hard, hard to get teams to come in and play you. Valpo already knows they have 18 games in the Missouri Valley Conference that are going to be the bulk of their season. Those 18 games, you're hoping that you win the majority of your home games and you're hoping you can win half the road games. If you do that, that puts you at 13-5, and five, essentially, and that would be a good place to shoot for. If you go, let's say you go 8-1 and one or 7-2 and two at home and then you go 5-4 and four or 4-5 four and five on the road, okay, maybe now we're looking at 11-7, and 12-6, something like that. Let's look at the rest of the schedule then. You've got this very tough tournament, Western Kentucky, top 40 RPI team, although we don't really talk about the RPI anymore. I don't know what they were in net, which is the new metric that that NCAA is going to use. And then maybe you get West Virginia or you get Monmouth, and then you've got a game against either Wake Forest, St. Joe's, Cal State Fullerton, which I think was an NCAA tournament team last year, or UCF which at least their football program want to share the national championship. So good programs in this tournament. There's every bit of chance Valpo goes 0-3 in this tournament, right? There's every bit of chance. Western Kentucky is going to be a hard game. They've got a really top-rated recruit. Monmouth maybe, you know, if, they, if, if Valpo loses and Monmouth loses, Valpo's playing Monmouth, okay, you know, maybe maybe West Virginia runs Monmouth into the ground, and so they're tired. So maybe Valpo can get that game, and then who knows who they play? Probably St. Joe's, maybe in the uh, in the third game. Valpo could go anywhere from three and zero to zero and three, or anything in the middle. You've got games at West Virginia. That's probably a loss. It's a guarantee game. Games at Texas A and M, probably a loss. So you've got to find wins somewhere else in your schedule. This is where the non-D1 games come in. Valpo makes the most money in athletics off the men's basketball program. You need home games. This is not Texas Southern. You can't take your program and go on the road for, you know, the first three months of the season and not play any home games. Yes, you make a bunch of money doing that, but you alienate your fan base. I don't know if Texas Southern just doesn't care about their fan base. I don't know the answer to that. Valpo needs home games. Valpo also needs to make money. For every one-off home game that you play that you're not making a return trip for, you're essentially buying that game. It is incredibly cheaper for Valpo to buy a non-Division I team where maybe they don't have to give that much money as opposed to trying to buy a lower-tiered Division I team that ultimately could crush the RPI. Now, the RPI doesn't really matter anymore, so or the net, or whatever we're calling it. These non-D1 games, they don't count in those standings, so they don't hurt you, win or loss. So many times, Valpo would play Chicago State in the Midcon tournament, and it would crush their RPI. They would play a sub-300 RPI team three times. It would kill their RPI. It's better to play non-D1 teams from that perspective. So the best thing to do then is, if you're going to do that, play a really good Division II program. But if you play too good of a Division II program and you lose, well, then you look terrible. So I don't know the answer. 
what I do think is a big problem is don't start your season with one of these games. Sure, you can ease into it, but your first game of the year now is going to be against Western Kentucky in a neutral site. I would much rather have started the year with a Mur- with a Murray State or a Southern Utah or or something. I mean, Southern Utah wasn't great either, but they had a big time scorer that year. Or East Tennessee State, somebody that's going to challenge you right off the bat, as opposed to playing a glorified second exhibition, which is what Concordia University Chicago is going to be. I don't. I understand the non D one games. I just don't like where this one's positioned. I love where the Purdue Northwest game is positioned, and we'll get to that later on. Valpo goes on the road for this tournament versus Western Kentucky, then West Virginia, Monmouth, and then to be determined. Great tournament. The games are in ESPN family of networks. I think they've got ESPN U on the first game. This should be a really good tournament. I think I'm going to try to go out there to Myrtle Beach. I've never been before. It looks like an excellent tournament. Some good teams in it. Wake Forest, West Virginia, Western Kentucky. Really good teams. Great tournament. Good for Valpo to get in one of these ESPN tournaments. Great exposure. Love the tournament for Valpo. Valpo comes home, and they're on Thanksgiving break, and they play SIU Edwardsville. There's a couple games on the schedule that, according to Marco Barbara, Valpo is playing out the string of these things that were signed back during the Horizon League days. So Southern Illinois is a return game. Southern Illinois Edwardsville is a return game. Valpo went there last year. They're coming here this year. And then I believe the series is done. I think it was just a one-for-one. Why are home-and-home games important? Because you're not spending any money to do them. You're not buying each other. It's a straight split. Valpo goes there last year. Valpo gets a home game this year. No money taking exchanging hands. So Valpo's going to get a game. It's it, it's sad that it's the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, it should be, you know, it should be a game that Valpo should win pretty easily and good. So now They've beaten Concordia University of Chicago. Let's say they go 2-1 and one or 1-2 one and two at Myrtle Beach, and now they come back and they beat SIUE. They go on the road to West Virginia. They're not going to win that game. I mean, that would be my guess. This is a one-off game as part of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. There's no return game for this, so far as I know. Um, Valpo's getting bought in this game. It's part of the the deal of being in this tournament is Valpo will make some money off this game. I don't know how much. I just have heard that they're getting bought. Uh, that, you know, most programs, most mid-major programs try to get bought two to three times a year so they can put money back into their budget. That's what's or they can pay for their travel for their other games or however much this does. I don't know where all the money goes. Valpo is a private institution. They don't have to disclose all of that stuff. Um, then Valpo has a next game of the Mountain West Missouri Valley Challenge. This is the uh, lone remaining game here because I believe this challenge is ending. Valpo at UNLV on Wednesday, November 28th. Should be an excellent game for Valpo. Should be a tough contest. UNLV probably favored in this game. They're a good program. Valpo, depending on how they're feeling and looking at that time of the year, this could be a good test for them and a good game. And then a pair of home games in the first week of December. UC Riverside is part of a return. Valpo was already going out to Santa Clara last year as part of a home-and-home, and so they picked up another game in California. After desperately trying to get Stanford on the schedule to have a Matt Lottick return game there, it didn't work out. They signed with UC Riverside. And you can be upset about that game all you want to. Why is Valpo playing Riverside, last place team, or whatever they were? They destroyed Valpo. This game, December 2nd, there should be bloodshed at the arc. Valpo should destroy this team. They should they should score 100. Not because UC Riverside isn't good. They can be plenty good. I'm saying that Valpo should come out trying to score 100 points in this game. It is a reckoning. What is that line from uh, from Tombstone? It's not revenge. It's a reckoning or something like that. Valpo was thoroughly embarrassed at UC Riverside last year. Maybe the lowest point of the year for that program, with the exception of a couple of Valley games that were rather tough to watch eight and a half minute 10 minute scoreless stretches that UC Riverside game was an embarrassment in every facet of it they were dealing with some adversity but Valpo needs to it should be a pride game I would say for this one 
December 4th, High Point comes to town. Where? What? High Point? This was a late addition to the schedule, the last game that was added to the schedule. Originally, from my understanding, Oral Roberts was going to be on the schedule for a home-and-home, and and it fell through. I don't know why. I have no clue on it. I think Oral Roberts backed out. I don't know if it was just the dates didn't work or what the deal was, but it didn't come to fruition. So High Point gets added late. Tubby Smith, according to Aaron Levitt, will be the fourth uh, division or the fourth coach with a national championship under his belt to come to the arc in the first since the 70s. Be interesting to have High Point there. Valpo will go to High Point in the 1920 season. This is the beginning of a two-year home-and-home contract. Also, the beginning of a two-year home-and-home contract is Saturday, December 8th at George Washington. Valpo plays at George Washington to start, and then next year the Colonials will come back to the arc. Marco Barber stated that he tried. they tried very hard to get this series to start at the arc. It was originally they were hoping it was going to. It just didn't work out. I don't know what it means when it didn't work out, and when you try to press on those matters, you're just basically told it didn't work out. So George Washington will will host Valpo in a rematch of the 2016 NIT title game, and then Valpo will, will host George Washington next season when Valpo is expected to have a really, really good roster. Valpo will then host Ball State early on in Christmas break when the students aren't around, and then a very quick turnaround to go to to Texas A&M two days later in uh, College Station should be a uh, excellent, excellent challenge for Valpo. And then they will play Purdue Northwest, and that will be the final game of the non-conference slate. Between the 8th and 17th, between George Washington and Ball State, Valpo is on as final exams. And so there's a nine-day break between those two games. Then they play back-to-back, and then Valpo has 10 days off uh, for the Christmas holiday. And then Valpo plays Purdue Northwest. I don't, again, if I was if I was in charge of college basketball, I, I wouldn't be down for the, the, the non-D1 games. But at the same time, I love the placement of this game. Remember last season when Joe Burton was deemed academically ineligible and they were on the road at UC Riverside when this happened and they get thoroughly embarrassed and they have to come back and they have no time to play another game to basically get any kind of sense of what it's going to be like playing without Joe Burton. They had the one game against UC Riverside on like two hours notice, essentially. And now it le- now I'm not saying that you should schedule with the idea that somebody's going to be academically ineligible. That's not what I'm saying. So let's clear that up right now. I just think after a 10-day layoff, I think it's good to get your feet wet with a game. You're going to be coming off what should be a very tough game at Texas A&M. You go home for the holidays, you get fat and happy with your family, and you come back and you get a day to get your sea legs back. I think it's a good placement of this game. I talked to Mike Kern from the Missouri Valley Conference. The schedule should be coming out for the ne- in the next within the next two weeks or so, for maybe before Labor Day. And the idea there is that there will be no conference games that start until after January 1st. So I would think that you're going to see the conference opener probably take place uh, Wednesday, January 2nd is when I would think the conference opener is going to be, or January 3rd. The 2nd or 3rd is when you're probably going to see that. So you play on that Saturday the 29th, you've got New Year's, and then you jump after it. You get into the Valley Conference play. I don't know how they're going to start it. If I'm the Valley, I want Illinois State against Loyola right off the bat, if uh, you know, or, or however you want to work that. So there we go. So that's what we got for the schedule for Valpo. Judging by fan reaction on social media and the message boards and all of that, the fans are irate at the home schedule. And, and sure, justifiably so. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that in depth a little bit 
after we hear from Boomer Roberts. I want to bring in Boomer right now to talk about Purdue Northwest and the opportunity that they have to come to the Arc on December 29th and play against Valpo. Coach, thank you for joining us. Your first year coming up with Purdue Northwest and Valparaiso released their schedule yesterday and the final game on the schedule for Valpo from the non-conference is a game against Purdue Northwest on December 29th. Uh, first off, how, how does a game like that come about for you? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Paul. Um, I uh, I know Coach Gore pretty well um, over at Valpo um, just through being out on the road recruiting and developing a relationship there. And obviously we are the only two NCAA schools in the region, um, in northwest Indiana. So when I got the job, um, I reached out and, and just said, hey, is this something you guys are interested in? And um, obviously they've played Division twos and NAI schools um, and Division threes in years past, but it was something that the dates worked out, and uh, we're really excited to, uh, to get a chance to compete with them. The Valpo fans predictably always think that they should be playing the Kentuckys and the Kansases of the world. The Kentucky and Kansas fans always get upset when they've got to play teams like Valpo. The Valpo fans get upset when they've got to play teams like Purdue Northwest. Sure. How do how do you sit in this whole thing? Where I mean, how big of an opportunity I guess is it? Or or, or do you look at how do you, how do you approach and look at a game like this for your program and for your players? I mean, it's all it's all relative, right? It depends on your perspective. Um, you know, even in even in recruiting, um, Falpo and Coach Lodick and his staff are are uh, they're trying to get high level Division One players to come play for them. We're trying to get Division One players. Um, to come play for us, even though we're Division II. Um, and those are the type of guys you need to to build a championship-level program consistently. And and then when you think about the word consistency, um, Valparaiso basketball is as consistent as any program in the country. You know, people throw out high major, mid-major, low major. I don't care. Valpo basketball, everybody knows. Uh, I grew up on the West Coast, and I knew Valpo basketball at an early age. Um, and... So in terms of our approach, I mean, getting a chance to play against one of the most consistent NCAA Division One programs in the country year in and year out is something that, as a staff, um, our guys, um, we're fired up to do because it's an opportunity to, to lace them up and compete. Um, I think they're going to be very good again. Um, you know, obviously they're really well coached, but they add some new talent and a little bit deeper, a little bit more athletic, and... Uh, It'll, be a, it'll certainly be a challenge for our guys, but our guys love the opportunity because they all believe um, they're Division One level players, and, and that's kind of the mindset that they have. Um, just like when Valpo steps on the floor with a Texas A&M or a West Virginia, you know, or a UNLV, they believe they're going to win the game. So I'm not I'm not going that far because you know this is year one, and we haven't even seen our team play or anything like that. But um, it's an exciting opportunity to test where we'll be at um, at this point of the season. And then for both teams, obviously, as as we get into the second half of conference play and they start conference play, it's a good tune-up after Christmas. We talked earlier, and, and you'd said that you like to recruit guys with chips on their shoulder. What you know? How many of the guys that you bring in, and, and you guys just announced your recruiting class the other day, and uh, some really some really good names on there from some local guys that have played around here. But but what does that mean when you you know you get guys that that they they believe they they should be or want to be D one players? How do you how do you channel that chip on their shoulder a little bit? Sure. And what I mean by that, I mean anybody who's come and watched the Division two game. Um, a GLIAC game, a GLVC, you know, very, very, very high-level basketball. So I don't, to me, you know, that line between NCAA Division One and Division Two players is, you know, it, it kind of depends on whose viewpoint. Maybe a guy's an inch too small or not quite athletic enough or, you know, he can he can stick 16 out of 25 threes in, a, in an open gym workout as opposed to 20 out of 25 threes. So, you know, it kind of depends on the coaching staff and what they're looking for. Um, but when we talk about it, we love toughness and, and taking over this program in late spring, and that's what my staff and I kind of went out and identified. We got we got more athletic. We got tougher. We definitely got more skilled. Um, are we a finished product by any means? No way. But the toughness thing 
um, is a big deal for us because to compete at the level we want to compete at, you have to be tough every single day in practice and in games. And so chips on their shoulder. Guys like Dean Tate, who was an Indiana All-Star and the starting point guard on his 32-0 state championship team at Warren Central, Um, a couple of our junior college guys that that, um, were highly recruited early on, and then people dropped off. you know, um, Anthony Bernard from Kokomo had a, had a really good junior season, but his senior year, everybody kind of backed off a little bit. And, and, and those guys are talented guys, and they believe, like I said earlier, put me on the floor with anybody, Coach. Um, let's, let's lace them up and see if your best is better than our best. Now, we again, we, we're humble enough to realize the gap between uh, where Purdue North best, West basketball is and where we want to go is significant. Um, but we believe our guys are coming in here going, okay, let's change it then. And, and those are the type of guys we want to recruit because um, they're the ones who feel like people missed on me and I'm going to go show them. Um, and we, we love having a roster full of that. That's awesome. Again, uh, Coach Boomer Roberts of Purdue Northwest. And I think so often when the schedule comes out, you know, Division One fans, not just Valpo fans, Division One fans all across the board look and say, why are we playing these guys? And they fail to understand that there are people on the other side of that as well. And I just I thought that it was a great opportunity to uh, to chat with you. And again, there's some really good basketball that's going to be played by Purdue Northwest here, starting out a, a good product. And uh, you know, again, just how how excited are you for the start of the season and and the guys that you've got coming in? Yeah, we're really fired up. Um, it's it's something. Today was our our first workouts um, that were allowed NCAA wise and uh, I'm excited just about the character of guys we have um, about the future of our program we'll be young um, but we'll be much more talented and, and, and like I said deeper more athletic tougher but more than that they're just guys that you want to be around um, you know when, when you talk about changing the image and raising the level of Purdue Northwest basketball we want to show people in the region um, that there is good basketball to be played at this level. Um, and we haven't, obviously, being new to Division Two and, and, and struggling in our first couple of years, um, we haven't necessarily done that. But I, I really believe the future is bright um, because of the type of guys we brought in. Uh, our staff and I also focus on guys we want to be around. Uh, there, there are some, some uh, student-athletes out there that are not the most fun guys to coach. And... Um, I'm not saying we have angels and, and, and guys that are better than anybody else on any other program, but um, we just believe in the guy's character. We believe in their work ethic. We believe that they really want to be here and be a part of it. I believe in our school's education. I mean, uh, you know, for the affordability for a, a big-time degree at Purdue Northwest, the location for recruiting, I just think that this place can explode um, athletically as a university and, and hopefully men's basketball can be on the forefront of that uh, as we take these next steps in the coming years. Purdue Northwest about to finish their third and final provisional year of Division Two membership and Coach Boomer Roberts going to be starting up his first year with the program December 29th which seems Coach, a long way from now as it's still, you know, 90 degrees outside. But uh, December 29th at the Arc, Purdue Northwest and Valpo, a long, long time from now. Coach, thank you very much for joining Union Street Hoops today, and best of luck as these workouts continue. Thanks, Paul. Enjoyed it. Good energy, good points from Boomer Roberts. I really enjoyed talking to him. I think that he's going to do some good things at Purdue Northwest. I've not seen a terrible amount of their games over the years. I've covered a handful here and there, but I've always enjoyed and and been treated really well by all the people over there at Purdue Northwest. And uh, uh, it's always nice, especially, you know, them and and Cal College and IUN, you know, good programs in the area. South Suburban's got a great basketball program and and, uh, and, and good stuff there. So it should be fun to see that game from their perspective, from Purdue Northwest's perspective. I get where the fans are upset about this. The point that I made with Boomer that I think is important to look at here is the perception of one's program. And this is where, look, Kentucky fans are never happy with their schedule, right? You know, Kentucky is going to open against Transylvania in an exhibition game and then Indiana University of Pennsylvania 
in another one. Now they open their season against Duke, but two of their games, right? Two of their two exhibition games are against Transylvania and Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I don't know what those are. They're going to play Monmouth at home. They're going to play North Carolina Greensboro at home. They've got Utah and they've got Kansas. So that's obviously a huge game as part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. They've got a game at the United Center against North Carolina. They've got a game at Madison Square Garden against Seton Hall. They've got a game at Bankers Life Fieldhouse against Duke. Kentucky's not playing any true road games from what it looks like. And their home schedule, with the exception of the Kansas game, and Utah's decent, but imagine two years ago when Valpo, when Kentucky played Valpo. At, do you think that Kentucky fans didn't go to the game because it was Valpo? I'm seeing a lot of people on the Valpo message board and Twitter who are saying, I'm not going to go to these games. These opponents do nothing for me. Do you go to the games because of the opponents, or do you go to the games because you're supporting the team? That's the question that I, I think is interesting to me. IU opens their season at home against Chicago State. Then they play Montana State at home. They've got a great game against Marquette. They're going to play UT Arlington at home, UC Davis at home, Central Arkansas at home, Jacksonville at home. That schedule's terrible. But they're going to go see Romeo Langford, not because of who Romeo Langford's playing against, but because he's Romeo Langford. So as a Valpo fan, are you going to the games because you're interested in who their opponents are, or are you going to the games because you cheer for Valpo? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I also admit to you, I get a media pass. I get to go to the games for free. So it's, it's, it's different, you know? The high school team in the area, do you go to a Valpo High high school game because you care about their opponent or not? Because when they play Boone Grove, there's a lot of people at that game. Now, when they play Chesterton, yes, the place is packed. But when they play Boone Grove, there's a lot of people at that game because you're there supporting Valpo High School. You don't care who the opponent is. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt just released their schedule. They're going to open against Winthrop. Then they go to Southern California. Then they're going to play at home. This is just a barn burner. Alcorn State, Liberty, Kent State, Savannah State. Real page turners on that one. Middle Tennessee, they get Arizona State at home. That's good. And then they, they have a neutral court game against Kansas State. And then they got Tennessee State at home and UNC Asheville. No, I mean, it's not there's not the non-D1 aspect there, but are those games any better, some of those games, than High Point or Ball State? It's all relative. Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, all programs that have hosted Valpo in the last 15 years. Do you think their fans get excited about Valpo coming to town? Of course not. They want each other to come to town. They want K Kentucky wants Duke and North Carolina and all of those programs in UCLA. They want them all to come to town. Guess where they go? They go on neutral court games. Very rarely, unless it's part of one of these challenges, do you get those games at home. And again, it just happens this year that Kentucky's getting Kansas at home, but some of those other games they're playing, they're going to neutral court venues. So I get people being upset. I really do. But at the same time, like this happens everywhere. And the question becomes, are you going to the games because you want to see Valpo's opponent, or are you going to the games because you want to see Valpo? That's the that's the fifty thousand dollar question right there, and I I don't I don't know the answer to that. I think that you know Concordia Chicago. I that game. If I'm a fan, I'm going to that game because it's my first opportunity to see the new guys in a in a game that I suppose counts. Yes, I've seen them play Indianapolis already. But I get to see Javon Freeman Liberty and Daniel Sackey. I get to see Malik McMillan, uh, another year older. I get to see Marcus Golder. What tricks has he added? I get to see Smits and Soroya and Fazekas making his regular season debut. I get to watch all of this kind of unfold. And guess what? I'm probably going to get a chance to see some extended minutes from Langston Stalling in this game, or some one of the you know some of the end of bench guys. I think that yeah, I'm going to be there for that one. SIU Edwardsville, it's the night before Thanksgiving. Not great scheduling-wise if you're someone who likes to go out and get completely blitzed on the night before Thanksgiving, if that's still a thing. I'm 38, so I'm not sure if it is anymore. UC Riverside in High Point, it's freezing cold outside at this point. 
It's a Sunday afternoon. The Bears are already knocked out of playoff contention. Of course I'm going to go to that game. You know, high point, Tubby Smith is going to be there. Should be a, a decent a decent contest. They were right around 500 last year. So was Valpo. Both teams a couple games below 500. Should be a good game. Ball State, sign me up for any game against a team from Indiana. Any game against a team from Indiana. I don't care if it's Fort Wayne or if it's Indiana State, which obviously they're going to play later on. I don't care if it's IUPUI. Any team from the state of Indiana. People brag so much about basketball in the state of Indiana. This is where it should be. Let's get, get all of those teams in here. All of them. I want all of the Indiana teams on the schedule. I think it would be great. I've talked about this over and over and over that I think there should be an event in Indy where all 10 Division I teams go and play. And maybe you get some home games out of that too. Maybe you're going to go down there and play a game and, and, and then you got one home game and one road game that's connected with that. Every year you play three teams from the state. I think it would be fantastic. Be a great way to spread basketball throughout throughout the whole state of Indiana. Sign me up for Ball State. I'm there. Monday, December 17th, Monday Night Football is terrible. No one watches those games anymore. Uh, trust me, I love the NFL. Monday Night Football is terrible. So let's go do that. Week before Christmas Eve, fantastic. And then Purdue Northwest, Let's. how's the team looking before – you know, before getting into conference play? Has the rotation changed at all? Are they going to do something a little bit different in that game to try to, to, to tinker with some things that might work in conference? Yeah, it's not a great schedule. But at the same time, all of these games present a reason. You know, all, they're, all, they're all there for a reason. You've got to get victories. You've got to get wins. You've got to schedule to put yourself in position to have a good record. And the 18 games in the Missouri Valley Conference are much, much harder than what they were in the Horizon League. It's a fact. There are no give-me games in this conference. So you need give-me games in other places. I had a good conversation with Matt Lodick, and one of the things we talked about is I said, how do you schedule George Washington? How does that come to light? And Matt Lodick said, at the end of the day, You've got to find other programs that are willing to play a game that they might lose. Valpo could lose at George Washington, and George Washington could lose to Valpo. And it takes playing in some of those games to help lift up your RPI. Look at Kentucky's schedule. You know, they're going to beat almost everybody on their schedule. Duke and Kansas and North Carolina are their three games that are flip-of-the-coin games. Every other game they have on their schedule, they're going to win unless Seton Hall somehow gets lucky like they do from time to time. They're going to win all of those games. Indiana is going to win the bulk of their games. You know, they've got Louisville at home, they've got Butler in Indianapolis, and they've got Duke. They're going to beat Marquette, I would think. They're going to beat Arkansas. It's on the road, but it's still a game that they should probably win if this kid, Romeo Langford, is as good as he should be. Indiana is going to win most of their games. This is the way that you schedule. You've got to find teams. So I actually love this Indiana Marquette game because it's two really good teams. One of them's going to get an excellent victory early in the season. And the other one, it's not a problem if you lose that game. So Valpo playing George Washington is an excellent game because Valpo can go there and can get a really nice win, or Valpo loses and it's a good game. So to, but to counteract the fact that losses can pile up in some of those games, you need to build yourself an opportunity to get some victories. A, for your record. B, for the confidence that your team needs. You need games like Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. You need UC Riverside, provided that you don't shoot 4 of 29 or whatever from the three-point line. You need those games in order to counteract the losses that you're probably going to get at West Virginia and at Texas A&M, possibly at George Washington, possibly at UNLV, and possibly in this tournament. You want to come out of the non-conference schedule with a good record. Now, what Valpo's done is if they win these home games and they somehow maybe are, arrive and peak a year early because they should be really good next year, they should be decent this year, Imagine if they go in and they get two or three wins at this Myrtle Beach tournament, two wins against, say they win that first game and then they get another really good opportunity against West Virginia in the second game. And then maybe in the consolation game, they get a Wake Forest or they get uh, you know, something like St. Joe's. 
or if you can get a West Virginia at their place, which would be a miracle victory, or a Texas A&M at their place, this schedule is positioned to build Valpo up and to build, maybe not for an at-large this year, but to at least get the program moving in that direction. If Valpo goes, you know, if Valpo has a very good record in these games, is it enough for them to have an at-large bid? I don't know. The Valley's going to be really tough. Illinois State, Loyola, Bradley, and Southern Illinois, in any one of those orders, probably Bradley fourth, the other three kind of interchangeable, are going to be really tough teams. That's eight games that are going to be very difficult for Valpo. Throw in Indiana State, which could be a great rivalry. Throw in Northern Iowa, which their fan base looks like it could be a fun rivalry. Throw in Missouri State and Evansville. And and look, you've got an excellent conference that Valpo should be proud to be in with 18 games that are going to be harder than almost anything they face in the Horizon League. It's not a great schedule at home. It's a fantastic schedule in totality when you look at what they've got in the Valley They've got a team that was in the Final Four coming to the arc. They're going to go to that place. They've got two Sweet 16 teams on the schedule. This is a schedule that is going to be challenging and is going to do a lot to help this Valpo team get ready for the 2019-20 season when they should really be peaking and really have a chance to compete for the Missouri Valley Conference title. This will be an exciting year because it could go it can it's going to go up. They will not finish in last place again. Put that in pen and take it to the bank. Valpo will not finish in last place again. Whether or not they crack the top five, that's going to depend a lot on how these games in the non-conference go and what they learn from them. And I think there's a really tough schedule on the road in neutral court games, and there's enough home games against teams that they should be able to beat that will help build the confidence throughout. They started 8-0 last year. They had a lot of confidence, and then it, it, it fishtailed pretty quickly. And we'll see what happens. I like the structure of this schedule. I like the Purdue Northwest game where it's at because I think, it, if anything, if that Texas A&M game rattles you, you've now got a game that you can kind of lick your wounds a little bit before you go into conference. If you agree with me, disagree with me, hit me up on Twitter, at NWIORIN. And I'm happy to to take any and all thoughts about this. I think it's it's fascinating. Um, okay, 15 years ago, Scott Drew was at Valpo, and he took the job at Baylor. And it was you know for me, I was uh, I had I just finished. I graduated in 2002 and stopped covering the team at that point. And I was back up in Milwaukee in the the three years that I was working at rock radio station and I really didn't pay much attention to I mean I was kind of followed what was going on but I it came out of the blue for me and uh, Sean Hayden will talk about how he knew it was going on for a couple weeks and I actually it I thought it just happened like overnight so Sean Hayden's going to join us and that'll do it for Union Street Hoops Sean will take us through what it was like to cover Scott Drew leaving for Baylor and what he thinks about all of that 15 years ago this week in uh, this little historical part of uh, Valpo basketball history. So be back soon, hopefully with a Matt Bowen interview, and uh, like to start to preview the beginning of the season here. Thank you very much for listening to Union Street Hoops. Here's our guy, Sean Hayden. Sean, 15 years ago this week, Scott Drew left, I don't know if it was like middle of the night, like the Baltimore Colts, you know, going to Indianapolis, but leaves Valpo and goes to Baylor and starts a, a whole new era of basketball at Baylor. You were covering the team back then. What do you remember from from this whole run-up? I mean, when did you know it was a possibility or a reality, and, and how crazy was the whole the whole thing? How long did it take? Um, you know, my best recollection, Paul, is that it was maybe a week, maybe two. Um, you know, I remember talking to Scott before he went for his initial interview, when he had, like, you know, he had binders of information for them, uh, ready to go. Um, I knew he was going to interview well. Um, and I knew that it was a job that he could legitimately land. Um, it was cause it was a nothing job. It was, I mean, you know, Dave Blissett just completely evaporated that program. And so they were really looking for a turnaround. And, you know, that was one thing Scott could sell. I always said Scott could sell ice to an Eskimo. He was just uh, an unparalleled salesman. Uh, 
I, I thought this was going to be a job that he could get into a power conference. Uh, that's what he always wanted to do at a young age. And he could do it without having a lot of pressure. Um, so I thought all of that stuff appealed to Scott. Um, and then, you know, I knew he was interviewing. And, uh, you know, just one day I was at home uh, in the morning, and it was, uh, uh, you know, someone within the program, I, I don't remember who it was, just saying, hey, the, the Baylor plane's coming to pick up Scott this afternoon. Uh, it's all very hush-hush, and, and uh, you know, nobody knows, and he's going to be the next coach. So, um, you know, like we do, we, I, I dropped everything, literally, and uh, just went, drove to the Porter County Airport, um, myself and a photographer, and we just kind of staked it out and waited there until we saw the the, uh, the Valpo traveling party uh, hop on the plane that was sent, uh, you know, by the folks in Waco uh, to pick him up and bring him back. And, uh, yeah, I remember um, Scott not wanting to talk. Um, you know, I, I just remember, I remember, I don't, Homer may have been there. I don't remember Homer being there, but I remember uh, Scott's assistant, and I'll always remember this, Matt Driscoll, saying, uh, yelling as he walked out the door, uh, there will still be a Drew in the head coach's basketball office at Valpo. I read the, I read the article you wrote the other day, and I saw that quote in there, and I thought that was such an interesting quote as to why First of all, it was a guy that had been on staff for seven months delivering that quote, and uh, or you know he he never coached a game for Valpo. I think he got hired at the end of the la- the previous season, and this was August, so maybe he'd been on staff for four months at most. But uh, yeah, I thought that was odd. Now to hear the context that he was yelling it as he was uh, getting into the plane or whatever is fascinating to me. And I don't know, and I don't, it was great. And, and you know, I don't know if he felt bad for me because you know he was he's a pretty outgoing guy, and I got to know him a little bit just. Even though it was the off season, you know, you go and visit the offices and see what's going on and snoop around. So I'd gotten to know him a little bit, and you know, nobody was talking. Nobody was talking there. So maybe, you know, just out of sympathy, sympathy for me, he gave me a little something, something for my story. Uh, you know, on his way out of town, because honestly, what did he care? He was never coming back to Valpo, right? Once he went to Baylor, like you said, he'd only been here for a few months, and so you know, that was that was it. And uh, so. That's how that happened. I just, you know, I just remember staking out Porter County Airport, um, and and you know, not being surprised by any of it. Um, Scott always had, always had high aspirations for himself. I, you know, I remember back when he was, you know, still Homer's top assistant, and uh, you know, he always uh, compared. And I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. He always wanted to be or modeled himself after Billy Donovan in terms of the fact that Billy Donovan was 29 when he got his first B1 job. Uh, Billy got, it was right before he turned 30, he got hired at Marshall. And Scott had always said, that's my, that's my goal. I want to be, you know, Billy Donovan was 29. I want to be around that age. Um, So, uh, you know, he got the Valpo job, spent one year here as the head coach. And um, like I said, that, that Baylor job was just a golden opportunity for him. Um, Obviously, you in the story you wrote, you've got a quote from Jimmy Miles in there. What was it like? If I mean, again, it's 15 years ago, but what what do you recollect about tracking down players and their reaction to the whole thing? Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest. Very little. I'm getting old. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, here, here's the thing. Like, um, I think um, these are all Scott's guys. Scott was the Scott was. I mean, and Morfield, Mark Morfield, those were the those were the guys bringing in the talent for Homer, um, you know, at the time. And so most of these guys either knew Homer. Homer was he was only one year removed from the program, so he was, you know, by the, when these guys were starting to be recruited, when they came into the program, they knew Homer. So I think, I think that was, um, you know, I remember that helping the issue a little bit. There's going to be some continuity, um, but let's face it, guys. You know, guys signed up to play for Scott, so there, there, there was a little bit of a disappointment there. Um, I'm sure that had been the plan all along. I'm sure during the recruiting process, Homer and Scott had told the guys, here's the plan. Homer's going to retire at this date. Scott's going to take over at this time. He's going to coach you through um, till you graduate. Um, but this this opportunity was just too good for him to pass up. Where, you know, when else is a guy who's coached one year at, at, at you know, the Division One level going to get a job at a – It was interesting to me because in the story, again, a long time ago, I just read this the other day, it said that uh, 
that it was unclear if any Valpo players would follow Scott Drew to Baylor. Do, do you remember being surprised at all that, that nobody went? Was, I, I mean, I don't even know if there was a possibility for, you know, guys. I mean, they were such a gutted program, I I would think that. And I, I, I'm guessing Dan Opland wasn't who Dan Opland became yet at that point of his career. But, you know, a Jimmy Miles or an Ali Berdiel or, a, you know, any one of those guys feels like they could have gotten some run on the uh, the 0304 Baylor Bears, I would think. Obviously, a higher level, uh, but the, the fact of the matter was at that time there was no certainty that Baylor was even going to have a season um, or what what it was going to be. And if you remember, at least one one of the first Scott Drew years at Baylor, uh, they didn't play any non conference. Yeah, I think that was a second season. I think they 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 ripped away the non conference games. So you're talking now. You're talking. It's August. You're going into your. You're about to start the semester at Valpo. It's August. That's true, yeah. And you may or may not have this opportunity to go to Baylor, who may or may not be playing. Or we, you have, we had no idea what the situation was going to be. Now, you know, if if the timing were like maybe when Bryce left for Vanderbilt, maybe you would have seen a little bit more of uh, of an inkling of that. But the timing was just so bad. Like I said, it was it was probably the week before classes started back then, and um, you know, I I just don't think that the timing was right for guys to leave. Homer took over the program right away, and uh, was it business as usual for you in terms of going back? I, I don't remember how much longer you covered the team for the Times, but uh, the day the press conference of Scott being announced, I think concurrently the Homer press conference was announced. Did it? What What was your feeling there? Was it? Just, did it make sense for Homer to come back? Well, yeah, and I it did because it helped. Well, look what happened when Bryce left for Vanderbilt, right? It, what it did in ter- in, uh, in terms of fan support and everything, it opened up some wounds on on, on parts of people. I still, I still, I don't begrudge Bryce for leaving for the opportunity of Vanderbilt, but I think some people do, and I, I think that maybe that that created, like I said, some wounds. Homer being here to cover for Scott completely, there was no wounds, right? Because well, we get Homer back. You know, Homer was beloved. And Scott got to move on for an opportunity. So there was, you know, I don't remember at all them being anybody upset with the fact that Scott left and Homer was, was about to take over. Um, no, that should be no reflection upon Scott because, you know, I have always thought the world of Scott. But as you know, you know, it's the name on the court says Homer Drew Court. So you know, here you were getting the guy back in the, in the head chair. It's been 15 years. Scott has gotten to the Elite Eight, I think, at least once, maybe twice. Um, he has made a, quite a bit of a brand for himself, being known as a pretty uh, dogged recruiter, somebody who has raised the ire of almost every other Big 12 coach from time to time. Did you ever have any thoughts as to how Scott Drew would play on the national stage? I remember doing a radio interview with some guys down on Party Dallas or Pico, and I said, I told them, you don't know what you're getting here. You're getting, I'm not surprised at any of it. Um, Scott was recruiting at an elite level at Valpo, um, given where Valpo was and given Valpo's resources. Um, Valpo had no business being in on players that they were in on when Scott was there. Um, I remember Al Horford being on a visit to the Ark, you know, seeing him there talk about the level of players Scott actually got involved with. Um, now you're taking that down into Texas uh, with Big 12 money, Big 12 resources. Um, you know, there are enough players for everybody to go around, but what people didn't like about Scott was, Scott was not working them. Pretty simple. Um, Scott works all hours, um, and he, I've never seen anybody work so hard uh, to get players or to become a better coach. And the one thing that Scott has continued to do um, was what he did at Baylor. He was always a really good recruiter. He made himself into an outstanding coach, in my opinion. Um, I I was pretty hard on him. Uh, Some of his coaching decisions his first year in Valpo, uh, we got into it a few times. um, Because, you know, I, I thought he had a ways to go. But he was always a hard worker. He was always a talented recruiter. And um, he has just worked and worked and worked uh, where he, you know, you don't hear about Scott Drew getting outcoached. Um, I don't think it happens anymore. 
he's he just he's, he's an outstanding coach. He's done everything he has, in my opinion, and it's only because he dedicated himself to being more than just a uh, an ace recruiter that he actually wanted to to learn the craft of coaching. I always enjoy on Twitter when Baylor gets a big victory. Every once in a while, Gary Parrish or uh, or John Rothstein or somebody will tweet out, it's a tough day for the Scott Drew can't coach crowd because there are a lot of detractors out there. Uh, I want to wrap up here in a little bit. We're joined by Sean Hayden, former sports writer for the Northwest Indiana Times. Are you surprised or maybe not that Baylor and Valpo never found each other on the court in the, the last you know 15 years? Homer and, and Bryce and Scott have all joked on different occasions with me that they'd be happy to play each other in the Final Four. And it's uh, I, I thought a couple years ago when Valpo made the NIT, I think maybe Baylor was in the NIT, and I thought that why wouldn't ESPN put them together? But then I almost get the sense that one of the two of the schools would have denied a bid to the NIT or would have said, no, we're not playing. That's how strong and how much these guys never wanted to play each other. And I uh, thought it was fascinating. Uh, Sean Hayden, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, chat about Scott Drew at Baylor 15 years ago. And I uh, hope, as always, when you're on this podcast, that it brings up some good memories for you. Hey, thanks, Paul. I appreciate that, too. And uh, I'll see you around the court this year. Thank you.